This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to get more customers, clients, consumers to choose your business. And this is for all of you who think you're in the right places and engaging your customers, clients, and consumers, but are just not closing them like you think you should be, which actually begs the question, are you in the right places? But we'll get there. And as you can probably imagine, this is rooted in branding and marketing, but we're going to talk a lot more from a tactical viewpoint here. But no, fundamentals like brand story and character and tone of voice, visual and verbal toolkits, marketing strategy, all of these are precursors to this and will influence how you then approach the tactics associated with it. Yeah, right on on that. And as a proxy, we're going to use customers, but no, it applies to anyone you're trying to court for business. Yeah, just so you don't have to hear us say customers, clients, consumers over and over again. Yeah, because we'll mess that up so many times <laughs> and a, a barter editor will kill us. Okay. <laughs> That being said, let's jump into how to get more customers to choose your business. So the first one is create tangible, sellable packages that increase the value of your products and services. So many businesses tend to offer their products and services in terms of lists. And this is what you do, but it says nothing about the impact you plan to generate as a result which really relegates you into commodity-based business because if you go and search your and, and Google your competition, they likely have similar lists. And as an exercise, we really encourage you to go do that. Go choose three competitors in your industry and Google them and look to see how that they actually describe their products and services. And we guarantee they're going to look very similar. And not only are the list of services going to look similar, you're going to see that the list of claims are going to look very similar because that's the first thing people say is like, well, sure, we have same services, but we're the best. Well, <laughs> okay, fine, but I bet your competition is also claiming that they're the best. And so we kind of relegate this to table stakes. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in an in-the-trenches question. But for now, let's just assume you get that you need to find a better way to differentiate. And the way to do that is to create tangible, sellable packages that increase the value of your products and services. So how do you do that? Okay, so this is all about first identifying a key pain point for your customer where you are solving a very core problem. We call this the flagship. And actually, April coined it, and I think it's beautiful. All right, so this is your flagship. to me for today. I know, I know. This is. I think it's great. You know how I love language. (laughs) So this is your flagship. This is the the core product that you are going to deliver. But it shouldn't stop there. You then want to create offerings around the flagship that reinforce and support your efforts to actually solve this problem in a much more comprehensive way. And this is what creates the value. And this is what we call the brand love connections. And these are the, the connections that you alone own and that become ubiquitous with your brand. So you really want to think about that. And just to kind of make this a little bit more tangible, let's give you a couple of examples. So say you sell manufacturing equipment and we have plenty of clients who do this. And you know your customer has a very lean workforce and you know they work in a plant situation. So Any kind of downtime is catastrophic, right? And you know this. So you might think about, hey, maybe I offer a quote-unquote downtime reduction package. So nicely branding up the problem and the solution for which you're going to offer that's going to solve some sort of immediate angst that they're having, right? So this obviously includes the machine, right? That's your core. That's your flagship. But you then might want to consider what else I want to put around it. And maybe you decide... You know, there's a there's spare parts that tend to break down on a regular basis. 
we're going to set up a schedule and we're going to just send them those spare parts. Or there's preventative maintenance that needs to be set up on a really on a quarterly basis. So we're going to set them up with an expert technician and they're going to have that like at their fingertips and they're not going to even have to think about that. Or maybe you have a direct bat phone line to your customer service rep and maybe you give them a specific rep that they can call 24 hours a day, night or day. And so now you can kind of start seeing that this is starting to develop into a package, a very tangible package that delivers value much bigger and broader than just the flagship product, right? And you can apply this to any product. So I use manufacturing equipment, but you can see that this can extend to any single product. As another example, think about business consultants, right? Lots and lots and lots of business consultants. Even me and April on our business has some level of business consulting in it. Now, we sell other things around it, so we have very tangible packages of value. Practice what we preach. Practice what we preach. But business consultants are becoming like one of those more commoditized uh, efforts as well. So if you think about it, everybody's trying to rename it. You call them coach, you call them gurus, (laughs) you call them advisors, whatever. The objective here is to try to define your business in a way that differentiates you. So say you identified a target client base who is really struggling with their culture post-pandemic. And we know this is a lot of you guys out there. We get this question often. Exactly, exactly. And maybe your primary business or your primary flagship is keynoting or coaching. It's just one specific thing, okay? So that becomes your way, your flagship product of being able to communicate to these clients in a way that's going to help drive value. And maybe in the context of that and trying to build some more around that to help bring support in a more comprehensive package, you decide, hey, um, I think maybe my clients need a post-COVID culture builder. Mm-hmm. That's my package, all right? So you're solving, again, a, a, a tension or some sort of angst that's really, really relevant right now in a way that's going to deliver an impact that's going to solve something for them right now. And so maybe then, instead of just your keynote, you decide, hey, I'm going to add an assessment. An assessment is going to help tease out specific areas of focus, right? And then I'll customize my keynote based on that. That way it has more resonance, more relevancy. And then I'm going to offer some coaching because that's going to help reinforce it because I don't have time in an hour keynote to put in everything. Or maybe some specific topics relevant to the post-COVID environment that's going to allow that to be a little bit more systemic. And if that sounds familiar, it should, because that's exactly what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless but, plug. There you from go. From us. Well, and I just want to put a key emphasis point here on making sure that you really focus on that flagship and make sure you get that right. Because I think what we often see happen is that some of our clients will think that they know the answer from their perspective, But it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily from the perspective of their consumer. And so it's more of what Anne was talking about in the beginning about, you know, either you copy the competition or you just throw it out there that you're the best or whatever, and you're just mimicking the same services or products or whatever it is versus doing the homework to figure out what is that real in that is the thing that is keeping these people up at night and then building all around that. And I think it's okay if you don't hit it the first time around. We talk about testing and learning on the show all the time, Uh, but really making sure to dive in and then position it from their perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we have, we actually have a coaching client that it took them a little bit to get to this, but once they opened the door to that particular pain point in the home, now they sell all these additional things, just like what we're talking about surrounding it, 
because those clients were like, oh my gosh, you know exactly what I need. Now come. And it's like they can't get enough of them because they feel like they solved this mom-child issue of things in the home and how to organize and all of those things. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Our next way to get more customers to choose your business is to be visible and convenient. And I'm going to let April take this one. And this is Anne's favorite phrase, but I'll, I'll go with it, <laughs> which is fish where the fish are. And so obviously this means when you think about your marketing strategy, but also, again, the industry you're in and then the community your business serves, you put all of that together and you find kind of that ability to show up where it makes sense for you to show Mm -hmm. up. And so some examples of that are if you're a local business, then you participate in local activities. You join your local chamber. We just did this in Kentucky because a lot of our clients tend to be there and we got invited by one of them and we thought, oh yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Attend and network at industry events or be on the planning committee or offer to speak and train. You want to build your reputation as a thought leader around whatever it is that you do. So again, people say, oh, yeah, they get it. I totally want them. Mm-hmm. And then another one is to often offer things like webinars, trainings, et cetera. Those are more um, mass audience type of opportunities, but they put you really front and center and kind of automatically exhibit you as a leader or a person that really knows what they're talking about in the space just for being there. And then, of course, your content has to back it up. But, mm-hmm. you know, so showing up. I mean, it's literally showing up. It's thinking about where people are and where it makes sense for you to be and then going to those events. And when we say, you know, that's kind of the visible component. But when we say convenience, this also means that it's really easy for a potential customer to get a hold of someone that can help them. And this can be a really key differentiator, and it sounds small, but it's just so true. So many businesses are currently outsourcing customer service overseas, or there's a general line for you to call. You get multiple prompts. I just had this happen the other day with one of our healthcare providers where I just hung up because I couldn't get it to go to where I wanted it to go. You have to really consider the loss of business when you go and do something like that versus having a live person respond. And then there's also the time around the response, right? So when clients reach out to us, we have a rule that we get back to them within 24 hours. And in most cases, it's way faster than that. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to feel like they're just kind of hanging out there wondering when we're going to get back to them. And it's always one of us on the team that's getting back. We don't have any sort of automated or, you know, call here and we might answer (laughs) type of situations, we're making sure that they are communicated with by an actual human being. And the other thing we will say here is that if you do end up outsourcing, and and there are some places where it just makes sense. I mean, you know, we're Mm -hmm. a smaller organization, we can pick up an answer, right? But if you are going to do a call center, you have to make sure that you train people up on that. I mean, even in our instance, right, we've talked on the show about how we brought on Laura to be our coordinator of all outreach. And that means all client meetings, all of our podcast work, all of those types of things. But first, we had to train her in our expectations around how she would communicate and how she would respond and when she would respond, all the things that I just mentioned. And we go as far as to do actual like practice exercises, sending her templates of things that we've done in the past, um, Mm -hmm. checking the work before we feel like she gets the tone. I mean, it's that important that you make sure that it is communicated conveniently, but also in the way that you want it done in a timely manner so that there aren't 
people scratching their heads like, oh, there's a new person and I'm not getting the same thing that I used to. Yeah, so. I mean, it's a reflection on your business exactly. and, and your brand overall. Um, and I think it's it's so critically important. And you know, the, the visual part, too, is a part that... We have so many clients who just struggle with this because mm-hmm. it Fair. comes like it comes down to a time thing, right? They're like yep. I just don't have time for all that. But I'm like, well, you got to make time, you know, because yep. there and everybody then wants them to know what the ROI is from it, <laughs> you know. And that's that's the very next question. It's like, well, you know what? In these cases, the ROI is very hidden, you know, and it's it's not easy to kind of play out the the the, the number of clients or the leads you're going to get from these exact interactions. Mm-hmm. But we can tell you from years and years and years of experience that relationships are so super important when it comes to getting business. Yep. And if you're not there, if you're not present, somebody else is going to be, mm-hmm. and they're going to get your business. And especially if you're in businesses like me and April are, where it's like people are just hiring one. Mm-hmm. Again, so you're hiring one marketing and branding agency. You're not hiring multiples. If somebody hires one, then you need to wait in line until you know that one kind of goes through the, the course of time. So this is the, the the one aspect that we tell all of our clients that, that they really need to plus up on and carve out time and space and energy in order to do that. Same with same thing with being convenient. If mm-hmm. you can get all the leads you want, but if people cannot reach you to communicate with you and you're gonna play, especially my favorite is well, we don't wanna seem too eager, you know. <laughs> we you know, we have like, you know, in the process for calling back in twenty four, forty eight hours, like People love that. Like, people mm-hmm. love that response. And we're going to talk about that, actually, I think, in the next point. So I think I'm setting myself up right. But, like, <laughs> you, you just respect people. Yeah. I mean, respect people in, the, in their time and energy like you want your time and energy respected. And, and I think it's going to do wonders for your business. Yeah, this is one where game playing just doesn't make any sense. No. You just need to be transparent and be there and be a person. Yeah, honestly. I think that's exactly right. So the third way of getting more customers to choose your business is have a regimented lead vetting process. And I knew I set myself up for this one. (laughs) I was wondering. I'm like, I'm looking at this next point here. Yeah, I knew I did. (laughs) Got excited. So smooth, man. Okay. And this is really about doing the follow-up because marketing gets you leads, but the deals are made in the follow-up, right? I'm going to say that one more time because it's so, so important. Mm -hmm. Marketing gets your leads. But the deals are made in the follow-up, which means you need to have a process for following up so it's automatic, it's consistent, and it's trackable. Because you don't want your people to be having to do the really big thinking about how to actually do the follow-up. Because what happens is then things start taking priority over that. Mm -hmm. Or it's not consistent in the way that people are following up. So you have some people getting the follow-up and not others. And it just becomes a very haphazard way of doing business. And you don't want that. Again, it reflects on your business in a very poor way in, in, in that situation. So like as April said, and what we did for Laura, you know, you want to actually invest in things like sample scripts, mm-hmm. um, documentation for how you want this process to do, like when is the time frame for how you want the follow-ups to happen, suggested channels if necessary. I mean, even things as simple as when you send out an email, you know, these these practices of putting in a very clear subject line of how you know somebody, make sure that your follow-up doesn't go to spam. Yep. So this is really, really important in order to be able to close your deal. Don't just assume that you made this one, you know, fantastic engagement (laughs) and you made such an impression on them that, oh, as soon as they need you, they're definitely going to follow up or, you know, you're, you're in the running. Like, 
that's just, it doesn't work that way. Well, it's not a relationship if you've only had one touch point. And it's not. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and this also shouldn't be done in just the context of it's all about you, too. So what me and April practice and we preach as well is that when we respond to folks and we're following up into seeing, like, you know, if they want to do business, we always do one of three things. We either offer a quick thought on something that may help them immediately that's based on what we might have learned and then thought about after the conversation we had with them or something we've seen in the environment or maybe something that we saw with a different client that comply here. We, we a lot of times direct them to one of our podcasts or our blogs that we think could be helpful. It's a really great way for people to internalize how we do business or how we talk about our business, as well as gives them some insight and education to something that may be right on their minds at the moment. And a lot of times we offer a free consult or a friends and family promo just to get them in the door. So it just gives them a little bit less of a barrier just to to try it. And, you know, we scale this based on the investment and in, in, in the value of the opportunity that we're, we're being faced with. But it's these are definitely ways of being able to show them the value they're going to get by working with you. And that definitely solidifies the, the relationship. And then you want to maintain frequency of reconnects because... You need, again, to develop the relationships. And as April just very rightly said, a relationship is not based on one exchange. A relationship is built on multiple exchanges. Yeah, and I think here is where the consistency comes into play as well. So part of the reason that Ann and I offer the types of value exchange that we do is because it's very consistent with the way we approach the business overall. And when you meet us, you get that sense from us in the beginning. We we really like to help. And it sounds mm-hmm. stupid and cliche and everyone says it, whatever, but it really is the reason that both of us went into business for ourselves and then together is because we want to help people. So then when we follow up with these communities, communications and Anne's exactly right in the approach to continuing to follow up and to have key messages in there. But ours is always framed around that position because we really do believe that our client's success is our success. And we get so much fulfillment out of doing that, that that's the approach we take in our lead follow-up process. And a lot of times we give too much value, but... Well, that's a different conversation yeah, that's for a different, different conversation day. for a different day. <laughs> Although it leads to nicely to the next one, so... Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, so the fourth way of getting more customers to choose your business is unexpected acts of appreciation. I'm going to let April take this one. Well, and I set myself up nicely for this one. So what I was just saying applies here as well, right? This isn't just giving someone something to give it to them. It's not presenting your client with a Christmas gift or to commemorate certain successes on the project or go out to golf with them. I mean, all those things are nice to do. And I would say, you know, from my previous experience, when you do those things, if you're going to do them, they get expensive really quickly. So find stuff that Mm -hmm. actually means something if you're going to send it. Don't just blow, you know, however much money on taking a whole team of clients to golf for example, and then just having that be kind of like a throwaway in or their dinner minds. or whatever, or, dinner, or whatever happy hour, is, yeah. giveaways, whatever the case might be. But this is actually something that you do because it is authentic to who you are. And it it may be something that you find a way to do for every single client. Like I would say that Ann and I find ways to value add for each and every one of our clients. But again, that's because we kind of can't help ourselves in being helpful, right? So we are very giving in our approach to the business. But what those things are would look different based on each client. And then we do have a process for how and when we do those things, right? So if we feel like you know a client is really missing something completely and we're like, if they don't do this – 
we're not going to be able to reach the business results, right? We might go ahead and do it as part of the project, even though they're not necessarily directly paying for it, right? Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, you know, there are clients that are more independent and they want to find a way to be able to work with us but really contribute strongly. And so in that case, we take more of our, you know, train approach to things, which is we supply them with some worksheets and then, you know, a kind of a narrative or a example or whatever for them to start to develop it on their own. And then we take a little bit more of a backseat and we evaluate, but we're providing a lot of support and value and even sharing those materials because those are proprietary to who we are. So the acts of appreciation really are dependent, again, on the customer and what their specific needs are. And they should never feel like a tchotchke or a throwaway or any of those types of things. Uh, and I, I think it's okay in those instances to let them know, and you should let them know mm-hmm. that you're doing this extra thing and, and why you're doing it. And it's not like a grab, right? Like, give me more money or make you feel guilty. It's not that at all. It's just, look, we believe in your business and we believe strongly that this is what you need. So therefore, we're going to hear what you're looking for and then provide you with the best solution for you. And if you have a large team of people One of the best things you can do is empower them and encourage them to do this because it forces them not to phone it in on the business they're on. It forces them to really get to know their clients and to provide meaningful support beyond just whatever they do for the day-to-day business. I mean, I think these, I can't say enough about these acts of appreciation, right? But we've all been on the receiving end of them and you know what that feels like. That's what you should be trying to do for your clients in this situation. And we, can we, you know, monetarily say, well, we, actually, we probably could based on our repeat business, but it's not really the point of that, right? It's the longevity of build, building the relationship. Yeah, and I think this one goes a long way, um, and it, it it's especially important in the customer service aspect of your yep, business. Totally. And I'll give an example of one that I saw, and this was, I believe, Chewy where a guy was actually sharing on social that um, he has dog has had passed away and but he had been an, an avid subscriber to Chewy to get um supplements for the dog and when the person on the on um, from the from the Chewy side heard this ended up sending flowers mm. on behalf of Chewy on uh, in, in condolences for the dog didn't have to do that mm-hmm. you know but it was something that moved him so much that he felt compelled to share and he said I'm when I get a new dog I'm a, I'm going to be a, a a fan and a um and a customer for life right mm-hmm. and that was one act, like one act of appreciation that totally made somebody's day in a in a way that now they're going to be an ongoing customer. They're going to talk about what they mm-hmm. what what they experienced and what happened, and they shared it in a very public way. And even for me, and I'm not like I have a dog, but I don't use Chewy. Mm-hmm. It made me think about the brand when I was like looking for a ball from my dog and that's where I found the ball from my dog. Mm-hmm. You know, so this this does transcend. It it totally transcends. Now I'm is anybody gonna at Chewy ever gonna know that I bought a ball because I heard this story? No, but you gotta believe in human nature and the ability of that transcends this emotional impact that you create when you do these acts of appreciation. Again, as April said, it doesn't have to be all the time. It doesn't have to be with everybody because they can get a little expensive, but you mm-hmm. need to empower your people to feel like owners of the brand so that they feel compelled to do these sorts of things when the situation arises because it can create a whole new layer of brand potential. Absolutely. Totally. Very well said. So just to summarize how to get more customers to choose your business, 
First, create tangible, sellable packages that increase the value of your products and services. This is all about identifying that key tension point for your customer and creating a package that includes that flagship product, but that can promote and, and alleviate that tension, okay? The second is be visible and convenient. Fish where the fish are and make it easy and frictionless for a potential customer to get a hold of you. Third is have a regimented lead vetting process. Marketing gets you leads, but the deals are made in the follow-up. The fourth is unexpected acts of appreciation. This is going above and beyond in an unexpected way that drives loyalty and encourages sharing. All right, and with that, we're going to move on to our next segment, which is In the Trenches, where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but they tend to have a broad application so you can all digest them and apply them and put them into action. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right. The first in the trenches question, we are really the best out there. Isn't that good enough? <laughs> and I laugh every time I, <laughs> I can't even say the straight face. Okay. And we talked about this a little bit. Yep. And, you know, it, and this is you know, a point that you're really going to have to internalize and be really transparent with yourself. All right. And April made a really good point before, and I want to reiterate it here, is that you really need to identify do your customers see you as the best and what matters the most to them? Mm-hmm. I mean, a really, really important nuance because a lot of times you want to say you're the best in some characteristic that's important to you, you feel makes you look good, especially versus competition, but it may not be what matters to the consumer. So for example, if you're saying, hey, I'm the best because we respond within 24 hours, if your competition responds within 24 hours too, it's a wash. It's not really that important. So be very mindful of the fact of how you're positioning your quote unquote the best. And if you're getting all the customers that you could absolutely want, then fine, you've nailed it. And we like applaud that. You, you guys are doing a really good job. But if you're claiming you're the best and you still aren't growing your business, then you, you do need a little bit of a reality check. And I think this is a point that we really want to emphasize, especially in the context of where claims cannot really be verified in a real telegraphic way, is that nobody says, hey, you know, our products are actually subpar with marginal customer service developed by people just put off the streets. You know, nobody <laughs> says that. I mean, that's not what they claim. could be true, but it's not what they claim. So you can definitely have the claims there. We're not saying you don't, you know, and we're not saying that, you know, you shouldn't talk about how good your, your your customer service is or how talented your workforce is, but try to contextualize it in a way that's meaningful for your consumer and truly differentiates from your competition. And even if you're the best right now and everything is going really well for you, the reality of the situation is you may not be the best tomorrow. The landscape can change very quickly and you really can't afford to be complacent. I, I think if anything... Has shown us that COVID has shown us that, right? Which means you better be innovating and you better be talking to customers. You better be following trends. You better be actively working on your business because this is going to be uh, make you proactive and ahead of the game. 
So in order to rise above that commodity baseline that we talked about, about just having the list, you need to really differentiate based on your branding. Your branding is going to be the key here. And that's what you can be able to authentically and uniquely own. And this is what's going to become ubiquitous with you and your business. And that's going to really help your reputation grow. Yeah. One of my favorite examples for this one um, is when I think about starting to work in healthcare marketing, specifically for hospitals, uh, I guess it's been five or six years ago now. And we did research on the different marketing materials that are out there in the space. And you could say this about a lot of industries, but it just like we just got hit over the head with it. So we'd be like, okay, so are there any hospital billboards that you can recall? And there's tons of them, right? And people would be like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, what do you recall about it? (laughs) Um, there was a stat about something being the best and there were a whole bunch of like seals on it. Okay. Do you know what hospital it was for? No. Do you know what the colors were? Uh, I think there was some blue. A side note, all of the hospitals in the area pretty much with the exception of one use blue. And (laughs) so it was just like a hysterical situation over and over where, We would just get the same exact response. And what happened there is what we're talking about here when it doesn't go right is you're essentially talking to each other. So those hospitals Mm -hmm. were talking to each other and they got just they just went down this rabbit hole, all of them, and thought that the way to bring patients in was to talk in terms of we're the best at this, we're the best at that. We offer this core service. We have this best surgeon. We've run, won this patient care survey. And, and when you got down in the weeds of like the seals and stuff, they met absolutely nothing to the general public. It was a very internal facing way of winning awards. And so people would just be at a complete loss. And it just became such a sea of sameness. I mean, it was crazy going through that research. So that's one that I always think about here in terms of saying that you're the best and trying to reemphasize that point and you just you get on the hamster wheel and it just becomes the same message over and over. I mean, the amount of money that was thrown away. Now we're talking about hospitals, so they have some of it. Um, But I mean, it was just basically throwing money out the window because it was doing no benefit to each particular hospital system. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And you may and you made me <laughs> remember when um consulting with some private practitioners, especially um some doctors who are doing like plastic surgeries mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Cause they tend to differentiate too by putting the list of creds. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. everything I'm like, yeah. well, I mean, I searched and here's, you know, two other doctors in the area, and guess what? Same list of creds. Yeah. So now what? <laughs> you know, what what makes you different? Yeah. You know? And so I think that's a really, really important point. So the list of creds is an, it's an, another way people try to differentiate. But again, it's becoming table stakes. You have to have a different way of engaging. Well, and even worse when it's not in the speak of the customer that's seeking you out, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, some of the stuff doesn't even mean Potential anything. patients had no idea how to interpret that. It yeah. was like, okay, maybe I remember it was data. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, it's a Yale review versus a hard review. Yeah, I mean, what does that really, mean? You know, yeah, anyway. Exactly. So, okay. That was a really good example. All right, our second in the trenches question. In putting multiple offerings together into a package, it makes the package expensive. I'm afraid my customers can't afford it. What now? April, you want to take this one? So, yes, we, we hear this actually pretty consistently from our clients when we give this recommendation specific to packaging. But I think there's a few things here. 
One, if you're not just like we we're just talking about the list again, right? If you're not just giving them a list, but you're actually giving them a customized package and you're hitting on whatever that flagship concern is, and then you're answering that with the solutions you're providing and you can walk them through the reasoning behind this package, it becomes a conversation not about money first. It comes from what they actually need. Mm-hmm. And if they feel like you really hit it and you understand them, they are more likely to sign up for it. Now, there are still items that you can upsell associated with the package, right? So there are other things you can do if you really feel like that package is getting too big. They can be like add-ons sold at a discounted price. Again, you want to give the rationale for why they need these additional items. Um, If you need cash flow for your business right now, you can offer promotions that then get money in your pocket that you have, and then you can, you know, service those clients. But I think it it does a few things from a package standpoint. One, they don't have to cash in all the services right now, but there's mm-hmm. a reason to always come back to you, which is really important. And then number two, it's less legwork on your side because every time they need something else, they you don't have to go through like a proposal writing. Okay, we're going to add this one thing on. Oh, now we have to rewrite the proposal for the fourth time. You know, all of those different kinds of logistical things. And there are also, quite honestly, instances where we've had clients pay us for something. And then as we get into the work, we realize that there's a step that they need that we didn't know because we didn't know them that well. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a bucket of dollars, it can make it easier to transition what the money is used for if it's already committed versus, again, having them be like, oh, time out. We need to go back and scope this and build the rationale for it and sell it to whoever. Um, So I think people do get nervous when they start to think about the package. But I do think that if there's thinking around it and there's a justification for it, it works really well. And then Anne and I have talked before about offering different tiers of packages. And that's something that we have a lot of success with in our business and also that some of our coaching Mm -hmm, clients have mm -hmm. had success with, where you get different um, tiers of what the offering will be and the level of intensity of what you will get and what you need. And then there are different options within that. So it's not necessarily a menu, but it's more of a package where the client can see what the trade-offs are, be part of that decision-making process. Because I think sometimes when we think about consultants and stuff, right, there can be that negativity in in potential clients' heads where it's like, well, they just want to gouge me for all of my money, right? So I think this approach actually takes them into consideration and also allows them to make decisions about their business within the proposal. And what we always say is those tiers are all things that we confidently believe will boost your business. It's just a matter of how much you want to spend, where we want to prioritize your business, and what those key things are next on your list versus what things could wait for a while. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really good insight. And it, it, it is extremely effective, whether you call it tier one, tier two, tier three. Mm-hmm. When I was at PNG, I was famous for my gold, silver, bronze packages. <laughs> um, and that's they're three very distinct but very real solutions. Yes. So I want that to be yep. very, very clear is that this is not like a throw off solution and, you know, the one that you really want them to take and then a one super expensive one that you kind of really hope they take. These are three very real, very actual solutions and a you, you customize them based on timing and mm-hmm. um, financial availability um, mm-hmm. of, of your clients. So. Make sure you hear that, but it is a very effective tool. So she gave you a really good insight there. Um, and then I think the other point that I wanted to make here is in these branded packages is that 
You know, it, yes, it gives you the opportunity to upsell, and that is extremely important um, because then people start seeing a, a bigger solution yeah. for their problem than they initially thought. So that that's that's totally right on. And they think bigger. They, they think, think bigger. beyond a little challenge that's going on. They think about the whole picture. Yeah, because a lot of times they're kind of very focused on like, I just need this right now. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, they're thinking about my business and what I'm going to need six months from now, one year from now. And all of a sudden, you start developing a relationship yeah. because- they get that you get them. Mm -hmm. And that is extremely important in business because you become then the first call. Yep. So that does make you memorable. They're, and they'll and they'll think about the fact that, oh, yeah, I did buy this, you know, and then I'm like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, they were going to offer me the coaching and I wasn't really, you know, needing it at the time. But now that I went through this process, I'm like, oh, I really could use that coaching. And so it becomes a, a renewed conversation at that point in time when those tensions start like really hitting hard. So it, it provides that impetus for a contextual conversation about bigger solutions. It allows them to, you know, your, your client to think bigger, but then also to realize that you are thinking about them yeah. and in a way that you get their business. And that's, I mean, that's gold. That's it's just, it's yeah. just gold and not silver bronze, just gold. <laughs> in this instance. In this instance. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't resist. So no. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here all week. Um. The third in the trenches question, I'm afraid of scaring off potential clients by being annoying with follow-ups. How should I handle this? And I alluded this to before, but I'm going to put a really, really fine direct point on this, is that people want to be followed up with. <laughs> it, it's mm -hmm. just that plain and simple. It's, they like to be courted. They like to feel like their business matters. They like to feel like their services matters. They like to feel like somebody cares. And it, that makes it so much more personal than to be like, okay, well, you know, here's here's everything that we have to offer. If you like it, you can come back to us with no follow-up. If I got no follow-up, I'd be like, oh, I guess they don't really, you know, mm -hmm. care about my business to begin with. And so I'll go with somebody who actually feels like they care. I mean, how many times have we chosen cars like that, Yep, schools like that? Um, just any kind of product that you can think about where, you know, a service oriented product that you're thinking about where you're like, oh, well, that person actually followed up with me. And so you give them the nod. I mean, it's human nature. So you need to play into that. Now, a lot of people have gone to automated responses too. Um, I mean, yes, it's a really great way of being able to respond at scale and make sure you're responding in a timely manner. I'm not exactly sure how well they go about really pulling people in in a, in a, a very significant way because it, it starts feeling very spammy and I think people tend to turn them off. Yep. But they can opt out. So if you're feeling like you're being too pushy, even with the automated, people can opt out of them and so provide that opt-out feature. But again, we can't emphasize enough about how important building the relationships are. And Jordan Harbinger, which is another podcaster that I appreciate, he says, it's always too late to build the well when you're already thirsty. And that's a really good testament to the fact that you need to retain and, and continue to uh, foster these relationships because if you once you need them, it's too late. And we talk about that all the time about the calling out of the blue or trying to cold call or, you know, and, and that just isn't the, the, the way to facilitate business that's going to drive the most immediate business for you in this moment. And actually, we had um, a guest on um, a little while ago when we we're talking about business podcasting, and that was David Spray. And I thought he used like a really great example that really telegraphically talks about this, which is um, he sends out to his email list of 10,000 people, I think he said, every month a notice about his podcast because he didn't want to inundate them. And he knows they're very busy people. And uh, he's and one month that he did this, he got a response and the guy goes, oh, I've been meaning to reach out to you. And even David talked about it on the, the podcast. He goes... Well, that's just kind of interesting that hitting a reply was so much easier than like, 
I've been thinking about you. I now I need to go into my email. I need to open an email, and I need to like construct the email. It was just an easy, easy communication transaction that then led to a renewed connection. So I think that was actually like really foundational for two from from two standpoints. One that you know make it p- easy for people to engage with you, but then two, just remember you're probably not the most important thing in somebody's day. And so, you know, you need to kind of continue to remind them that you're there. And then, you know, if this is a new connection, you know, that's great. And But we say, you know, apply some medium pressure. Don't take the easy way out and don't overly do it. And this is really about tone. And it's about what we were talking about, continue to add value in those communications that you have. And when you do that, people tend to appreciate that. You tend to be more memorable. And, but there's only so many times you can do that before you're wasting your energy and you're wasting your time and you're probably wasting their time as well. So we say it's kind of like the three strikes and you're out. Um, so follow up three times, usually about a week interval, just to kind of give them some variety of when they might be you know, more receptive to you. Um, and then do the breakup email. Mm-hmm. Um, we love the breakup email. Breakup email actually works very well. And the breakup email is like, Basically, like, oh, this will be the last time I'm going to reach out to you. Um, you know, if, if you're you know interested, you know where to find us. Here's our contact information. Call whenever. It's something to that context, and and that works very well. Either to let them know, hey, I've I've run out of time mm-hmm. to engage here, or you know, fine, and it kind of goes on its way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I used to have this mindset. I will say very frankly, like I I used to worry. When I was within the agencies, right, and especially as a younger person where you don't quite have, like, the cadence down yet, you haven't Mm -hmm. polished your abilities, right? And so you do worry about being too pushy, right? But I think all of what you outline here is so important to think about because you're not number one on their list. You're probably not even in the top 20 in a lot of cases, And they're busy and they have other things that they need to be doing. And so the follow-up actually helps people to remember to get back to you. And I think once I internalized that part of it, it helped me find my authentic way to be able to communicate like this. And I think as long as you disarm the email, basically, and say things like, I'm not trying to bother you. I'm, you know, we talked about this. If you're not interested, that's totally fine. And that's why I think the breakup works so well because once you continue to follow up, they know you're going to. Then when you say I'm no longer going to follow up with you, then it's like, oh, shoot. Well, now I need to go ahead and do this because I'm not going to remember otherwise. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I do think that if you have built a relationship, if you have reached out to people, again, that whole the whole analogy of the well, right, and not waiting to build it, you know, until you're thirsty, that is exactly what we're talking about here. And I think what I've tried to do, especially since going out on my own, starting my own business, is reaching out to people just because really consistently. Mm -hmm. So then when I'm reaching out with an ask like, be on the podcast, or hey, can you recommend me to so-and-so, right? It's It's a natural thing to be going on. And people also want to help. I think that's mm-hmm. the other part mm-hmm. of it too, right? They're not sitting there just trying to be a pain by not getting back to you. They, Their intention is good. They're probably just busy. So I think people just, they get themselves all in angst about this. And then 
they either don't do anything or they do the wrong things. So I think it's just relax. Think about the instances where you've been in the position that someone's reached out a few times and then you've responded, used them, hired them, whatever the case might be, and think about it from that lens. I think that's really good advice. And I'm going to build on that with just two quick uh, additional points, which is I can tell you when I've opted out, when I felt somebody's being too pushy, and there's always two two ways that that generally happens. One is if I'm I'm exchanging with information with them, going back and forth, and they don't answer my questions, and, and they don't answer really my questions good. directly, right? Yep. So they try to uh, basically gloss over the fact that I have very direct and very specific questions. This happens a lot on media. Yes. Like when we're, con- we're contemplating media buys. And then the next one is when they send somebody back like, I look forward to your approval on this or I look forward to um, your approved or, you know, moving forward on this and stuff like I'm they already assuming that I'm on board. Now, I know some people preach that that's a way of kind of like making it feel like, oh, well, I'm kind of like obligated, but it, it doesn't. It, it's, a, it's a big turnoff to most people because it doesn't respect the person's space for actually making a decision. So, those are two in the middle of the conversations back and forth that mm-hmm. I've occurrences where I've opted out because I felt it was too pushy. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Our fourth indeterminate question. I feel like we are doing all of this already and it isn't working. What now? April. So first of all, if you really are doing all of the things we've said here, then our guess would be that you're not delivering it in a meaningful way. So that's the thing that we see happen most often. So that's why we've talked a lot about think about it from the customer lens, not yours. Mm -hmm. That is really the crux of why you think about it from that way. And that often does solve things. You might be doing tactics and you might be in the right space and all of that stuff. But if your messaging is off or your customer, potential customer doesn't care, then it doesn't matter if you're doing it all. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) the other thing we would say is, are you over-promising and under-delivering? I mean, heading into this session, we were having one of these conversations, right, about ordering furniture was supposed to be here 10 months ago, and now it's just coming, and they had promised it would be here, right? I think every business, especially during COVID, can relate to these types of situations, and we have seen shortages everywhere. So really, the worst thing you can ever do is over-promise and under-deliver. I mean, I have seen so many agencies fired from business over the Mm -hmm. years for this exact thing. And I can see where it's going to happen too, right? Where you see someone sign up for something and you're like, that isn't even possible with the number of days we have to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So don't do that. If you're having shortages or you don't have enough people on your staff right now, or you're trying to figure out how to get your business back up and going with transitioning work from home and some in the office, whatever those cases are, Be transparent about that because, one, your client often sniffs out inauthenticity in total. But two, once you don't meet the delivery, now you're working backwards against that and you are in the wrong. So now you have to win the client or customer back over because you've now made a misstep. And then the other thing we would say is, are your priorities aligned with what you're saying you're going to do for the clients because that's a part of that overpromise under deliver if you as a business and, and we're not talking about things that like we all have things we don't like to do right so that's not really part of this conversation but if your 
completely unable to deliver on the timing that you're promising, then you have to go back and change your business to be able to do that or change the times that you're promising to Mm -hmm. customers. You can't just think it's going to magically work itself out somehow or or that you're going to matter or that it doesn't matter or, you know, that you're going to keep those clients by doing that. I mean, those are all problem areas where you are setting yourself up for failure by agreeing to something that you know you can't do. And then the other thing we would say with this one is be really honest. Is your competition doing it better than you? Because there are instances where that happens. There are also plenty of places for number twos and number threes in a lot of marketplaces, Mm -hmm. right? So you can still differentiate yourself. But this is where we see people get into trouble. Either they're not honest that the competition is doing better or they're chasing the competition in the wrong way and forgetting about the customer that they're trying to serve on the other side. Or they've gotten behind and they just don't want to admit it to themselves. So I, I think that they're there likely is something that's actually not working that you haven't identified in answer to this question, not necessarily that you're doing it all and you're not seeing results. Yeah, I think that is really well said. And I'll give a little bit of an example of of, of one business that um, we've engaged with, which is basically, you know, when we, we tell you, you always should be trying to grow your business, always generating leads. And that's great, except for the when you can't actually deliver with the customers you already have. Yes, that's another right? big one. And so sometimes management gets really, really distracted by continuing to get new leads because that's what's on their scorecard, right? Mm-hmm. Where they should be then really instead honing in on how do we deliver with quality and get these things out the door so yeah. we can make our current customers happy and what that does for the people underneath you, just so you managers know, is it creates massive turmoil mm-hmm. because you put your people who are on the front lines in like a really bad de- like position where they're getting yelled at on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And who wants to sit in a seat where they're getting yelled at by customers who are not getting what they expected, but then at the same time being told that they need to go get more customers mm-hmm. and they can't even deliver against the ones that they have. So, and they have no control over their situation whatsoever. They and, can't impact it at all. Exactly, exactly. So you need to get really real with what is actually going on with your business and make sure your priorities are actually focused on delivering what you say you're going to promise, mm-hmm. right? And especially if that's part of a your your package or your value add that differentiates you. You should always be prioritizing what differentiates you in order to be able to continue to maintain that state in the marketplace. If not, your competition is going to see that weakness. They're going to capitalize on that weakness and your customers are going to very quickly switch. So that was, I, I think, just a really important point just to make that really, really clear about being really intentional with what the priorities are. And, and it might not be exactly what you're getting rewarded for. Yeah. And that needs Good to be point. addressed too. You know, So there's a lot of times there's those conflicts in the system that need to be addressed. So those are in the trenches questions, which brings us to our third and final segment, which is a real world example of our brand that's doing this well and not well. So we thought we could give you some examples of where we have encountered this in our life recently, and we've kind of talked about some of these through. So we'll we'll give some different examples, um, but hopefully this helps to kind of bring to life some some real life like tangible uh, situations where you can kind of see this at work. So I will start, and I'm going to talk about a company. It's a it's a National HVAC company, but um, obviously being in Cincinnati, deal with the, the the local chapter here. And I have bought into their loyalty program, and their loyalty program is a really nice program. So it gives me two tune-ups a year, but it also gives me emergency service. 
And actually, that's why I have the loyalty program because of the emergency service. So if my heat goes out, my AC goes out, I get priority booking and these people are supposed to come within 24 hours. Well, I had a situation um, earlier this summer and my AC went out. So I called and I've done this before and generally it's very smooth and very easy. I call one person. The one person's like, we are on it. We'll be there in like, you know, here's your time frame today. And we're sorry that this is happening. And Everything is very smooth. This time I called and I could tell already the person that was answering my call was didn't have a lot of authority at all, basically just managing the phone. And when I said what my issue is, she goes, oh, okay. And she says, I'll be right back when I call the dispatcher, comes back after calling the dispatcher and says, um, we can get you on Thursday. Now, mind <laughs> you, this was Monday. And I said, um, are you aware that I'm a VIP member and I'm supposed to get emergency service? And she goes, yeah, but, you know, we're busy and they can't really see you until Thursday. And I'm like, what? Then what's the point of having the emergency service? Can I talk to a supervisor? She goes, well, that's all I'm authorized to do because I really can't get a hold of the dispatcher. That's oh, what geez. she said. So I was like, well, give me the number for the dispatcher. I'll call directly. So now all of a sudden I am, I had to take the onus for an, in order to get to the dispatcher, in order to get the person there, I had to call multiple times. And then my windows kept slipping. All this to say... If you are going to have a VIP package and these or these and I, that's, you know, a, a branded way and they have a name for it. That's like the, these value added packages that we've been talking about. You better have the support to deliver it. Mm -hmm. All right. Because nothing is worse. Like we just said before about, you know, offering these packages, having people buy into these packages and not getting the services that you guaranteed, especially if that's a reason for people actually buying the package. So. Yeah, I mean that's the the classic overpromise underdeliver. Right? Overpromise and underdeliver, which... and they're hoping that you're not going to need them, and then you call in and they get caught, or they would be understanding. And I'm like, I'm not understanding. It's hot and my AC doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I will counter that with actually a really positive example. So we've talked on the show about our monthly facials and. I go to spa Melissa Allen, and I've talked about my love for them on the show before because I, I sincerely have a great relationship with them. But they're running a business too, right? So they have a 24-hour cancellation policy or you get charged for your monthly visit. And that makes a ton of sense to me, right? Because it's like they're holding that time for you. And mm -hmm. if you're not going to be there, they can't fill it with anyone else. And if they don't charge you, then they make no money. So, and Anne can attest to this, I had probably the craziest month of maybe my life, but certainly the most complicated mm -hmm. with like things coming up that I didn't anticipate and back to school and my husband traveling again, right? And so I'm managing our calendar and our schedule on basically a task basis, like what has to come next in order for us to stay above water. So in the middle of a day where I didn't have help with childcare and I didn't have family members that could step in, I get a text from Melissa Allen that says, hey, we're ready for you. You can come on up. And I had that like stomach dropping sensation, right, where I'm like, oh, God. And I knew immediately that I messed it up because mm -hmm. that's just how life was going, right? So I look at the, the date and I was I had had it all scheduled for the next day. I had someone to keep the kids. I you know, I had it all ready to go. I was going to be able to go. And so I panic and I respond and it's an automated thing, right? So I'm like, "Oh god, are they going to get the message? You know, what's going to happen?" So Melissa called me back a few minutes later and she's laughing because I've never done this before, right? I've been a customer of hers for 2 years now and I've never mm -hmm. ever missed an appointment and I rarely reschedule. 
And so I was like, I am so sorry. You know, here's what I did. Go ahead and charge me. Totally appreciate it. It's completely fine. And she handled the situation with so much grace and compassion for me. She said, you know what, April? And she's laughing, right? She's like, I know that you would never do this to us intentionally. This is not one of the situations of repeat offense and a client that we don't feel like respects us. She said, actually, we have a ton of social videos that we need to crank out. So now instead of being here until 9 p.m., Tori and I will do them now and go home in a reasonable time. And I can fit you in tomorrow. I know it's not ideal for you to come at like 5 p.m., but if you can make it work, I will reschedule you. No additional charge. We'll just do it like your monthly visit. Come on in. So I finagled stuff and I, I got that to work. And then on top of it, she upgraded me because she knew that I was so stressed and didn't charge me for the upgrade. And when I went to leave, I asked and she told me no. And then I kind of looked at her and I was like, but I thought, and she was like, you know what? This one's on me. I can tell you're having a tough time and we've built a great relationship. Just accept the gift and go on about your day. And I like, it's just exemplifies so much of what we were talking about in this episode, right? It was so much compassion at a time when I needed it. She knew I was mortified. Mm -hmm. She completely left me, let me off the hook for the situation and then did something overly nice on top of it. So can't say enough great things about them. Um, if you're looking for a facialist, this is my plug for Spa Melissa Allen. They are great. But it was one of those moments, right, where it was completely unexpected, exactly what I needed, and above and beyond what I really deserved. That unexpected acts of appreciation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Every I, time. Every time. I think it's that was that's awesome. I think that's awesome. All right. So just to summarize, how to get more customers to choose your business. Create tangible, sellable packages and increase the value of your products and services. And this is all about identifying a key tension point for your customer and creating a package that includes your flagship product, but uh, uh, all the things around it that helps to support and alleviate that attention. Be visible and convenient. Fish where the fish are and make it easy and frictionless for potential customer to get a hold of you. Then third, have a regimented lead vetting process. Marketing gets you leads, but the deals are made in the follow-up. And then unexpected acts of appreciation like April just talked about. And this is going above and beyond in an unexpected way that drives loyalty and encourages sharing. And with that, we'll say go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.